I invite you to turn then to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and our text will be mainly at verse 13 and 14, but we'll look at a few others as well. Here there is a theme on perseverance, and it is really now Paul issuing a call to the Christians of Corinth, but to the, all places and all times, to persevere. To persevere is to continue on, to go forward, to carry on. And to persevere is often considered amidst opposition or difficulty or trial or suffering of some kind. You carry on, you persevere, you go forward. There are many great persevering stories of Christian biography. There are wonderful testimonies. You think of some of the very older ones and some of the popular ones, like Corey Ten Boom, a persevering saint who carried on amidst incredible difficulties. Some of the likes that we will never quite know. There's always a temptation. Throw in the towel. Finish it. Just give up. That temptation comes to Christians, too. There are whispers in the ear of the saints of God by the evil one himself. Oh, just give up. Be done with it. And yet, God's people have persevered on. You think of it even in illustrations of this world and the temporal world we live in. There's a city, a town, or something that rises from the ashes. It was burnt, but it perseveres on amidst war and fire, epidemic, but it continues on. It inspires us onward to persevere. For Christians, we believe in something called the perseverance of the saints, that God's people are to carry on their profession of their faith they profess the faith that they are children of God, they believe in Christ, and they are counted amongst His number. We are to persevere onward. We do know that there will be some false professions in this world. That yes, there will be false professions, and some will drop away from their profession. But we also know, as we're reminded in 1 John chapter 2, and in many places, such as 19 and other words, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have persevered, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Saving faith leads to perseverance. Some believe for a season and have a false faith and will not persevere. Philippians 1 verse 6 reminds us that God's grace called us. God's grace began a good work. God's grace will lead us into perseverance and carry on. It's about grace, God's grace, in perseverance of the saints. 
And as Packer said, it will not lead to careless living or to arrogant presumption. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints should never lead to carelessness, nor should it lead to pride and to arrogance that is presumptive. Persevere then. That is our theme that we want to look at tonight. It's a very simple text, but it comes within the context of other texts of Paul. And there are five things that we want to look at. You can just jot them down or note them in the text. It is a call to persevere by being watchful. It is a call to persevere by standing in the faith. It is a call to persevere, to act like men. It is a call to be strong, persevere in strength of the Lord. And it is finally a call to persevere by covering all our Christian living in love. So it's a call here. It's a five-fold call to perseverance of the saints and to the Corinthian saints in particular. And we know they needed it. But before we say they needed it, we need it equally as well. Now Paul here in verse 13 and 14 is giving five commands or imperatives. The first four of them are clearly military. We can see that. And Paul loves military language. He uses it over and over again. Just as I could remind you this morning of the Roman illustration of the Roman Empire and Caesar, which is not the eternal city, which is not the eternal kingdom, in contrast to the eternal king, to the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses Roman imagery of war and of soldiers as well. We immediately think of, of course, of Ephesians chapter 6. But this is probably a mini version of Ephesians chapter 6 and the spiritual armor of God and warfare. And you will see it, I think, if you have not already seen it, but it is there. The other thing that Paul is doing here is he is repeating himself, but he also nuances his arguments. If you look back at chapter 15 at verse 58, what does Paul do? He summarizes the great doctrinal chapter of chapter 15 with a great practical exhortation, which is somewhat akin to military strategy again, and to an urge to persevere in particular things. You can see the parallel between chapter 15, verse 58, and chapter 16, verse 13. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There is a slight allusion in the first two or three things there to military service. In chapter 16, verse 13, there is a clearer reference to military servants. And the first one begins very simply. Christian, you must persevere by keeping awake. You must be watchful. Now, if that isn't a military illustration, what is? 
If a city is under siege and the enemy is surrounding the city, what do you do at night? You put sentries everywhere. You guard the city. You put people on guard and on duty at night. And what is their charge? You don't fall asleep. If you fall asleep, the enemy will broach the line into the city and destroy our refuge and security. In other words, then, if you are in the military, you must be prepared for an enemy attack. You must get yourself in readiness and in order because spiritual danger is lurking nearby. Here's the warning. Perseverance has no room for arrogant presumption. Perseverance and arrogant presumption lead to spiritual disaster because it under-attacks and it undercuts the language imagery here of keeping awake. Being on your guard for impending danger. And so what Paul is talking about here is alertness. Spiritual danger is at hand. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the Corinthians. And he has been alerting them to spiritual danger for the last 15 chapters. They have all kinds of dangers, but they are sort of dulling themselves into sleep. They're morally not sensitive. They're theologically weak, ambiguous. They are indulgent and not peaceful. They are fractious, not loving. All of those things tell you that they are becoming dull spiritually. They are no longer alert. They are sleepy Christians. Paul says much the same thing over in Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, what does Paul say? So then, let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Human nature is not to be alert to danger. Human nature is often dull to spiritual cliffs that will be just ahead of us. In fact, the unbelieving state of fallen human nature is what? The impending doom of eternity is ever before the unbeliever. But there is a sleeplessness. There is just a dullness. Live today, nothing about tomorrow. The presence of the Lord is not my issue. The judgment of God is not for me. It is for others, but never for me. The nature of the unbelieving condi human condition is sleep. It is only the grace of God that awakens the soul. But a soul that is awakened 
can become spiritually sleepy and dull. Converted people can become careless, unmindful of their real situation. There is a tempter. There is temptation. There are evil ways. There are motives of our lives that need to be constantly watched over and, and looked upon. Pride and arrogance begins to slip in. And we become very proud of who we are. Be watchful. Persevere, saints. Examine yourself. Fall not asleep. The Corinthian church needed it. The church of today needs it. Paul will then unpack what he is saying here as he moves along. His second call of perseverance is to stand firm in the faith. It's a command again. It's a military command. Standing. A soldier has to stand in the army. He cannot always be sitting on the job. You just think of the most simple thing. The posture of standing, standing firm for your commanding officer and his cause, or of the empire, of the kingdom, of what you confess as the soldier's sacramentum when they entered into the Roman legion. You stand for that faith, that faith of the Roman empire and of the emperor, and he as a god or a type of some divine presence on earth. You stand for it. You make your oath. You have taken the sacramentum. Now here you are as a Christian. You're a soldier of Christ. You are called to stand for something. And what he is talking about are two things here. There is the spirit of standing is to contend in battle, to contend at times to be even contentious. Now, as soon as I say that, you say, but we don't like that word, to be contentious. It's a bad word. We don't like contentious Christians. And after all, Proverbs speaks against the contentious Christian or contentious believers. But always remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. There is a spirit of contention but there is a duty to be contentious for the faith. The two are very different. The contentious spirit is someone who is never at peace with anyone or anything, and they are divisive. But to be a contender for the truth of the faith is to defend it, to become apologetic for it, to become evangelical for it, to argue, to persuade and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. The closest that I can think of as a parallel for this second imperative of persevering in the faith and standing it is, of course, in the book of Jude. In Jude, verse 3, we find that familiar word, Beloved, I, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once of all, for all delivered to the saints. 
There that contention for the faith is standing upon the belief and the history, the supernatural faith, the theological understanding of the faith, and contending for it, arguing it, persuading it, teaching it didactically, giving it out to the world, catechizing it in the Christian community. This is our faith. You must know it. You must hold to it. Now, you will notice something. Paul has just given you an illustration of this. Chapter 15. What is chapter 15? It is a contending for the faith. If you remove chapter 15 from the book of Corinthians, you remove the greatest theological, historical, supernatural argument that Paul has put together in the Trinity. The cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is historical fact. It is a divine miracle that Jesus Christ incarnate in the flesh has risen from the grave above the supernatural order of this natural world. And it is of theological significance. Christ died for your sins. Christ rose in justification of your sins. And so he brings these three together, the historical, the, the, the historical, the supernatural, and the theological, and to say this is what we contend for in the faith. And you Corinthians are beginning to slip away from it. You no longer understand the significance of the resurrection. It is absolutely critical. It is the defining wall of the Christian faith. You remove the, the supernatural work of Christ at the cross and the resurrection, you do not have a faith. You do not have a Christian religion. You have no hope. You are fools to teach this if you do not believe this. These are the faiths. This is the gospel we contend for. I was reminded recently this week of a quotation by C.S. Lewis that he had said many years ago, I think it was God in the Dock in his great little book. Jesus did not say, go into all the world and tell the world that it is quite right. End of quote. No. And then Lewis goes on later to say, the gospel is something completely different. In fact, it is directly opposed to the world. Soldier, what does the military soldier hear? Hold the line. Hold the line. It's not about the telephone. It's about the line of duty, swearing allegiance of the faith holding the line of what is believed, what is to be done. We are under command. We hold the line on this historic, supernatural, theological faith that Christ is real historically, that Christ is supernaturally been resurrected from the dead, that Christ is our only hope and substitution for our sins. There is no else in which we can be justified under. This is the gospel. This is the gospel we attend to. This is the gospel we contend for. 
It was back in the 1930s, 1920s, that men like G. Jeshem Gretchen Machen were contending for the faith. And they said, there are two faiths. There is a liberal Christian faith and there is the true Christian faith. And they contended for it. And they were right. And the fruits of that in the 1920s are everywhere around us. Liberal Christianity has no gospel. Because it's another gospel. Machen was right, as were others, to hold the line, soldiers. We're under enemy attack. Hold the line. Attacks come constantly. A few years ago, it was the emergent church, the seeker-sensitive church, etc. All these things come and go. But they all have one thing in common. Don't hold the line. Accommodate the line. Change the gospel. And Paul issues his urgent, persevering call. Saints of Corinth, persevere, hold the line, hold the faith. Then he goes on, he says the next one, persevere by acting like men. Well, it sounds to us in a very gender-conscious world that Paul's being very gender-exclusive. Again, unpack it. It's the language of the Roman Legion. There were no women serving in the Roman Legion. Now, you may think, well, can we reinvent history and put some in? Well, you'll really have to do some digging. History is history. There were no women serving in the Roman Legion. It was a call to men to act like men. And what was that call? Imagine the captain of the legion, of a century of the legion, about to go into battle, face the enemy, the German Hun coming over to invade the Vandals. What would he say to them? Be men of courage. Honor. Do not fight like cowards. That's what he's saying. Now you take that military image and you apply it into this verse. Be like men. That is the opposite he's saying. Don't be a cowardly Christian. Now what is a cowardly Christian? They have no conviction. No, have no spine. They don't know what they believe. They become chameleons on every theological teaching, on everything of the Word of God. A chameleon. Cowards. They cave in to all accommodation. The enemy sweeps over. And they are defeated. Paul is rallying the Corinthians to battle. He is rallying them, be like men of courage. Be men of courage. Did you hear that word in 
Chronicles, our call to worship this evening, that David said to Solomon, his son, my son, be strong and courageous. Do it. Long before Nike ever came along, long before someone was ever being sentenced to death in an American prison who just said, do it. King David said it to his son. Do it. Build it for the glory of God. Do it. Be strong. Be a man of courage, not a coward. Read through the great testimonies of the Old Testament saints. Find out for yourself some of the great men and women of courage. Think of Daniel, a courageous saint of God, facing Goliath, the Philistine army. Think of Esther, Queen Esther. What a woman of courage. Daniel living in a pagan land, in a pagan place. A man of faith and courage. Billy Graham said it well. Courageous is, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. That is not a promise. It is a hopeful quotation. You will find when you take a stand, often for the verities of the gospel, some men's spines are not stiffened. But there will be some whose spine takes courage. Be active like men of courage. A few years ago, David Wells, the English South African, Zimbabwean, wrote a wonderful little book called Courage to Be Protestant. Now, he wasn't just trying to create a fight. But he looked back and he said, look at Luther. What do you see about Luther? Courage. Courage. The exercise of courage. Courage to be men of faith. Fourth, Paul goes on and he says, now be strong. It's interesting, is it not? Just over in Ephesians, in chapter 6, how does it begin in verse 10? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. But notice the preface. Isn't it a wonderful preface? All the other parts you begin to identify as parts of putting on. But how do you put on strength? 
How do you put on something to make you strong? Be strong in the Lord. I don't think this one is quite as clearly military-like, but it does speak of strength of the army, the army of the Lord, etc. But here the key is, I think, our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is in our weakness recognized. Let me repeat that. Our strength is in our weakness recognized. What Paul is saying in his exhortation in Ephesians 6 is this. Be strong in the Lord. If that is your strength, then this is your weakness. The strength that must come from external. It must come to you in his spirit. The strength to resist in the days of trial. Let's apply it for just a minute to Corinth. What did the Corinthian church need as they battled the struggles they had? They needed, first of all, strength to, to fight worldly philosophy and worldly philosophers. This is Corinth. This is Greece, the land of philosophy. And much of the philosophy was an indulgent experience of the head and the mind and the intellect, but it would take it away from the cross, which was seen as foolishness. Find your strength in the Lord as you wrestle against the philosophy that you will deal with in Corinth. Strength to endure persecutions that will come in Greece and throughout the empire. Strength to endure when you will take a stand on moral issues in even the Christian community. Strength theologically to stand on the faith and to contend for the faith. And all of these things... You cannot just give to human wisdom in a military unit. There is something greater. That is something spiritual. Our strength is in the Lord. Doesn't that take you right to prayer? The saints, as they persevere, persevere, through prayer and find the grace of God. Fifthly, then, Paul jumps ship. He jumps the track, doesn't he? There are five imperatives, five commands to perseverance as he summarizes now his arguments in this great book of 1 Corinthians. But he jumps the line. It's not a military image in any way. Don't fall asleep as a soldier. Stand guard. Hold the line, soldier. Be soldiers of courage. Find your strength. Plead for that strength. But what's he do? Let all that you do be done in love. Persevere 
by covering everything in love. McLaren said it like this. Paul softens the Christian soldier's contention and fighting and standing. He softens it through the word love. He doesn't create an effeminate picture now, but he softens it by saying you must keep the mood right. You must keep the manner of the fight right. You must keep the spirit in perspective in all of this. The only way I can think of it is to illustrate it this way. With illustration you've heard me give before. Francis Schaeffer was a child of Gresham Machen. Therefore, he was a contender of the faith. He was a fighter, theologically. He was a product of a war. A war between modernism and liberal Christianity, which was destroying supernatural, incarnational, resurrection theology in Jesus. Undercutting the authority and inerrancy of the Word of God. Machen and Schaefer were fighting against that and they were holding up the supernatural, the historical, the blood-bought Lamb of Jesus Christ as sufficient. The Scriptures as the inerrant Word of God is all we need. And they were in a fight for these two fights of the 1920s, the 1930s, and onward. But Schaefer over and over again would say in later years as he matured, there was one thing that was wrong in our fight over and over. And what was that one thing? We contended for the faith. We fought we were soldiers, but we missed the mark of love. He wrote a book on it, The Church Before a Watching World. One of the great quotations in that book is this. Schaefer said, beware of the habits we learn in controversy. Both must appear together. The holiness of God in the love of God simultaneously by the grace of God. To contend without love is to be a worldly soldier and not a spiritual saint. Always remember, in 1 Corinthians 15, you have the great chapter on theology, history, apologetics, supernatural theology. But what do you have in chapter 13 of the very same book of 1 Corinthians? You have the same theme. On the other side, you must contend in the manner 
of Christ's love in church and in world. I have known, and I'm sure I have been there. I have seen men and women who have loved chapter 15 and ignored chapter 13. The Holy Spirit doesn't allow you to become a modernist Christian and to select which chapter you want. The Holy Spirit gives you both chapters for the Christian life. What Paul is saying then in his last call is this. Let all that you do every controversy you embark upon, every contentions, every call to persevere in that faith, cover it in the spirit of Christ's love. How would that go? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and contend for all of these things, but have not love. I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries of theology and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have no love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned as a martyr in persecution, but have no love, I gain nothing. See, Paul knew the problem in Corinth. And he could put his finger on all the problem. It's not one. It's several. And now he gives his parting words. Be watchful as you persevere. Stand in the faith as you persevere. Act with courage. Persevere by the strength of the Lord. But do it all in the manner and in the spirit of the love of Christ Jesus. One of the greatest testimonies is to read some of the saints in their martyring period of their life when they're entering into persecution, being put to death, dying. And then you hear the same thing. They sang the prayer, forgive them. They prayed the prayer, forgive. And they remembered the needs of their persecutor. It was the love of the Lord Jesus Christ as they persevered right into eternity. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and its fullness again. And we ask for that grace and strength to persevere until that day. In Jesus we pray.
Amen.